0: Um, prelude to the lesson this morning. If you have a Bible, um, I'd like you to turn to uh, Hebrews, the 11th chapter. For Hebrews, the 11th chapter. We're going to read two verses uh, before we jump into uh, the lesson this morning. Before we do that, even before we do that, um, I'm going to uh, levy a wager. All, what I'd like all of us to do this morning um, if you have, um, if you have two arms, I'd like you to participate in this this wager. I bet everybody in this room that when I stretch my hands to the ceiling, my hands will be the closest hands to the ceiling of everybody else in this room. So let's let's all participate in this wager. Everybody, raise your hands. Sister Billy, you got to put your notepad pen, your pen down. You got you got two hands. You got. Try to get them as close to the ceiling as you can. Yeah, try to get them up there. Reach high. Sister Bill, reach your hands up. It, it hurts. Okay. Okay, as so high as you you have to stay see. <laughs> <laughs> All right, reach them high. Reach them high. All right, you can put them down now. Okay, how do you feel? Feel better, you got the blood flowing. that um, was a wager, but also it means of getting everybody to stretch. I know we're tired this morning. Uh, I know we need to get that blood flowing. I won that wager, right? I'm not the tallest in the room, but I'm the highest positioned in the room, am I not? Yes. That's a wager that I will that I will win every single day of the every single day of the week and twice on Sundays, as they say. I would be able to, to that wager is so, so strong of a wager, i bet everything in my bank account, i bet my life even, that my hands would be the closest to the ceiling. Even though I'm not the tallest, I don't have the longest arms, but you all can see that that is a win-win bet. I'll never lose, because the distance from here to there, even though I'm short, you guys are all seated, mm-hmm. I'm going to win that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 1. The Hebrew writer wrote in Hebrews 11, verse 1, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. If we were in a dark room, if we were all in a dark room, meaning I didn't know if you were standing, if you were sitting, you wouldn't know that I'm standing or sitting or certainly elevated by virtue of this pulpit. And, I, and we had that wager, right? And, and how much would you bet? Not knowing the position, the arm length of the person next to you, that's probably not a good wager. Hebrews 11 and verse 1 again says that faith is the evidence of things not seen. If you go down to uh, verse, number, verse number 6, the Hebrew writer again says in Hebrews 11 and verse 6, but without this faith that's spoken of in the first verse, it is impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. The thought of my lesson this morning is speculative faith. And the reason why uh, I'd like to talk about this is is that uh, it is common for, for uh, Christians, because I know it's, if it's common for me, I know it's common for other people as well, for our faith to be speculative, or our faith, or the level of faith, the amount of faith, to be based on speculation. Here's what I mean by that. Speculation is defined as a theory or a conjecture um, that has little or no evidence or proof of fact. So, you know, if I am involved in the stock market, which is a speculative market, right? I am buying a stock with some level of some level of trust that that stock will increase in value at some point in the future. If you are an options trader, it's even more speculative. Because what you're saying is, is not only will it go up, I am betting that at a certain time frame it will go above a certain uh, it will go above a specific price point. Now in the context of what I'm what I'm speaking of in relative to our spiritual lives is sometimes you and I, people in general base their faith off of base their faith on God, speculating that, in the future, something will get better, or things will get better. I will, be, um, I will have more peace later on. I will uh, have um, more friends. I will have a better marriage. I will be a better person. And certainly, I will obtain eternal life. But speculation is based off of what you can tangibly show as evidence. Our faith is something entirely different. We are not, we should not have a speculative type of faith because our faith is rooted in, as it states in verse number 1 of Hebrews chapter 11, rooted in things we cannot see. Our faith is without evidence. Speculation or being, if you're a good, okay, now you can be a bad trader, right? And you could just say, I like that stock, and even though it's going the opposite direction, I'm going to have blind faith, or I'm going to have utter faith, 100% faith, that it's going to go up. Even though the trend is going down for the past few years, I'm just going to go ahead and put my money there, because I believe without evidence that the stock will go the opposite direction. Now, to the world, as, as I wrote up here probably six months ago, to the world, that's foolishness, right? It is foolish to place a wager, to invest money in a stock that has no evidence whatsoever that it's going to be a winner. That's foolishness. But in the eyes of God, you know, the principles of doing that is sound wisdom. Because if you look again at what uh, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1 says, Now faith is the, is the substance of things, so for the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So that the things which were seen, excuse me, so the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear speculative faith. Science will tell you that uh, that statement there is legally, it's foolish mm-hmm. right? Because there is no evidence to show or support that things which we see were were made out of things which we cannot see. right Science will say, that's, that's foolishness. You know, that uh, anti-matter, or, and I'm, I'm going to use science words, that anti-matter can spontaneously convert into matter. Or even beyond that, that something that is not even matter or anti-matter, something that is nothing, can spontaneously become something. That's foolishness. Well, what I want to talk about is when we place, when we invest in our faith, or when we look at our faith as being something that grows or wanes with the things that we can see on this side of life. I want to start off by talking about a church in the book of Revelation, who so is neither hot nor cold. It, start, it sounds like Goldie Locks and and Three Bears, um, but the church... Excuse me. The congregation in Laodicea, or at Laodicea, in Revelation chapter three and verse number fourteen, uh, God sent an angel to the church of the Laodiceans um, with a letter, with a proclamation, and this is what it says. In verse fourteen, these things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou were cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. If you were to talk to any stockbroker um, who is you know, worth his uh, weight in gold, what he'll tell you is that he would rather have a bullish market or a bearish market. One or the other. I want it to be going all up one direction, or all all down the the next direction, Mm -hmm. right? There was a lot of uncertainty in a market that is neither bullish nor bearish, right? Because, you know, which one is it? I don't have any evidence. It could go up, it could go down tomorrow. And that's the reason why insider trading is illegal, Right? Insider trading means that you are taking the speculation that is naturally built in the stock market out of the equation. I know it's going to be a winner, or for that matter, I know it's going to be a loser. Which is the reason why traders lack either-or. God, from a spiritual context, wants either-or. He told the Lady of scenes, I don't want you to look warm. I'd rather you either be bullish in your faith to me or bearish in your faith. Either or pick one. Mm -hmm. But you can't be in the middle. There's uncertainty in the middle. There's no stability in the middle. There's no faith in the middle. You either got to be hot or you got to be cold. Mm -hmm. He goes on to say in verse number 17, because thou sayest, I'm good, is how I paraphrase this, this part of the verse, this first part. Where it says, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. I'm good. Things are moving along great. And thou knowest that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold. Try it in the fire that thou mayest be rich. And white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with saw that thou mayest see. As many as I re- as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Zealous implies that there is energy. There is a desire. There is want. You know, I'm driving towards whatever I'm zealous for. But when things are good, where's the drive? Where's the passion? Where's the desire? You know, when the stock market is just humming along, you know, there aren't many two dips or valleys, things are good. I don't have to be worried about taking my money and reinvesting in other things because it's just nice and steady. I'm earning my dividends every Every quarter, you know, things are good. There's really no need for me to do it. There's really no need for me to care. There's really no need for me to research and learn and to know more about this spiritual marketplace. Jesus said here in this verse, this, this letter that was given to the church at Laodicea by the angels, He says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. You know, repentance requires an acknowledgement of wrongdoing. It requires an acknowledgement that I have need of something. I have need to to be reconciled back to God. In 2 Corinthians, it talks about the, the process of repentance in great detail um, if you have your Bibles here it, it would uh, you would find that in second Corinthians uh, chapter 7 in um, verse number 10 it says for godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation not to be repented of but the sorrow of the world worketh death you know this this superficial, you know, kind of lukewarm sorrow is not going to be sufficient to get somebody to be reconciled back to God. You got to have that 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 bullish sorrow, that that hot sorrow, right? That that sorrow that 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 brings about zealousness, and that zealousness that brings about the true repentance that worketh to salvation. You can read in verse number eleven. Again, uh, about the about the the hotness, the, the fervency, the zealousness of the type of repentance it takes to be recommitted back to the purpose of God. There's no room for this speculative faith, where you're hot one day and you're cold the next, when you're up one day and you're down the next, where your faith wavers with the experiences the losses and the gains, if you will, of life. I'm going to ask you a question. If I were to ask you to place a wager, and the wager is your life, what would you wager it on? Think about it for a second. If you were to, if I were to place my life You know, if I were to to place, uh, you know, invest my life in a stock, it's got to win, people. I mean, I'm not losing my life for a losing stock. I'm only going to invest my life in a stock that is going to gain value as time goes on. So, what would you invest your life in? What in your heart are you fully assured is going to increase in value? All of us should, you know, I would agree with our sister, which is God. But, look, hold on now. Are you sure of that? I mean, do you show and prove that in your life? Are you willing to sacrifice your life and invest it in God? In what ways is that evidence? Or how does that show itself in my life? Okay, let's let's talk about the ways that it doesn't show itself in my life before we get to the ways that it does. If you have our Bibles, turn to uh, Exodus chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32, and uh, before we start reading there, um, way back when, um, probably 12 verses prior to that, uh, Moses received the Ten Commandments. And one of the commandments that... uh, that God gave the people through Moses, was that he commanded or demanded exclusive worship. He said, you will not put any other gods before me. Period. End of story. Because I am the only God. And the people at that time were like, yep, you are the man, God. I believe in you. You know why I believe in you, God? Because you took (laughs) us out of Egypt... When we were standing on the shores of the Red Sea, you know, with the, with the, the, the power that, you, that was Moses, with the power that was given to him by you, God, you allowed us to escape sure death by crossing the Red Sea. God, we believe in you. I'm investing my faith, my resources, my energy, my life in you, God, because you demand, you have delivered us through thick and thin, I'm setting up the the Hebrews for failure with that statement. So we get to Exodus chapter thirty-two and the very first verse. Brother Marzak, can you read that so I don't laugh as I. And I, I mean, I mean them. Just dis, no disrespect, because they're no different than. Any, than any one of us, but the very first verse of Exodus chapter thirty-two. And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that the man that brought us brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wrought not what is become of him. Okay, so. This is what I mean by speculative. You know, the the peaks and valleys of our life should not impact our faith one bit. Amen. I just, you just answer the question. If I'm going to invest my life, something that I hold dear, in a winner, it's going to be God, because I have a full assurance that God is a winner. His value in my life is going to increase. As time goes on, right? I know he's a stock that's headed to the penthouse, mm-hmm. right? And I'm willing to I'm willing to wage my life on that because I, I know it's going to win. But look here at the, Israel, the Hebrews. They only had that level of faith when things were good. But let Moses be late for dinner. What happened? They saw God as a loser. That stock, oh, is starting to lose. Sell, sell, sell. Sell, sell, sell. I got to salvage something here. So what do they do? They went to Moses and said, we don't know what's become of this, this guy, or excuse me, I went to Aaron. We don't know what's become of this guy, Moses. So we need to make ourselves a God. We need to take the investment that we placed in God, we need to sell that investment for a stock that we believe is on the upper trend. It, in this case, was a golden calf. I know it's ludicrous, but it happens all the time. How many of us in our lives, when things turn in a direction that is not pleasant, when things turn in a direction that puts us in distress, when things turn in a direction where maybe our health is not as good, our money is not as plentiful, our looks are not as good looking, what do we do? We divest in God. And we invest in something else. So, what do I do? I divest in God and I invest in a lotto ticket. Right? I'm, I'm, I'm losing money. I'm poor. Right? Because I invest in God. He said, uh, I, believed at, I believed Him at His word at that time yes. that God loves me and He will always take care of me. But when things went bad, I was like, oh, that stock's a loser. Let me take my money, my resources, my energy out of God and let me reinvest it in the stock market. Okay, I'm mixing up analogies, so I can't use that. But let me reinvest in in my savings account. Instead of giving to God every first day of the week, you know, I need to keep that money in my pocket. Instead of, you know, praying to God for... The things that I need, no, I'm going to reinvest it in a one and two and a half million uh, uh, try of winning the lotto. Mm-hmm. You know, instead of, I don't like the way I look, I'm feeling bad mm-hmm. about myself, mm-hmm. so I'm going to divest out of my spiritual exercise and reinvest in physical exercise. Mm-hmm. We do that all the time. Mm-hmm. That's the reason why the Hebrews are no different than us. At this very moment, they saw God as a loser. Do you believe that? The Almighty God as a loser, because Moses was late for dinner. It goes on to say in, continuing on, in Exodus chapter 32. Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings, which are in the ears of your wives. Of your sons and of your daughters, and bring them unto me. And all the people broke off the golden the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them unto Aaron, and he received them at their hand, and fashioned it with a graven tool after he had made it with a molten calf. And they said, These be thy thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. Oh boy, oh yeah. I, that just that just makes me feel uneasy reading that, that they would do that. But hold up, y'all. And when Aaron saw... Hold up a second, brother. Oh, okay. Uh, no, I, I appreciate it. How do we do that? How does that example, how does that mindset manifest itself in our lives? Okay, I'm going to talk about me, Brother Garner. When I have... Moments of a of my bank account is not in the red or doesn't is not doesn't have zero. You know, every time I get a paycheck, I'm like, "All oh, glory be to God! I am in God. Thank you so much. You gave me this money. I'm invested, man. I'm I'm feeling good. I come in a worship service. I give my giving without without feelings of of uh, of uncertainty." Without feelings, as what does it say in Second Corinthians? Without begrudgingly, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. without grudging, I guess I give it happily. The Thursday after payday, things are a little tight, right? The, the stock market is fluctuating. the The experiences, the, you know, my my. The, the value that I see mm-hmm. in my life goes up and down, right? Yes. So what do I do? On Sundays, I'm looking at my wallet. I've got six bucks. This is the day after, the, the week after payday. Mm-hmm. Things are a little tight. Do I say, in my mind, to the money that is more valuable in my eyes than it is to give it. Do I say in my mind what it says here in verse number 4? This is my God, O Thomas, or O money, or O wallet, which has brought me, which has given me the ability to pay my mortgage, my electricity, and my food bill. All this time. The scripture tells us that uh, idolatry or covetousness, which Mm -hmm. is idolatry. Mm -hmm. The scripture tells us that if we put anything before God, we are idol worshipping. Mm -hmm. Or we are worshipping an idol. We are worshipping another God. So while it makes me feel uncomfortable to read this, that the Hebrews at this moment would worship a golden calf, it can happen to any one of us if we have speculative faith, if our faith wavers with the peaks and valleys of getting of gains and losses, if you will, in our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to pick up here, Brother Marzetta. I appreciate your reading. Um, between 5 and 6, you know, Aaron said, hey, tomorrow we're going to have a feast to this new God. Um, And it says in verse 6, they rose up in the morning, they burnt peace offerings and all sorts of things. They they were drinking and having a great time, right? They got into a good stock. Right? I'm using this hand motion to show you, right? They got into a good stock. They were... We're going to make a ton of money off this new, new investment. In verse number 7, it says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Go, get thee down, for thy people, which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way, and not just slowly, but quickly, out of the way which I have commanded them. They have made them in a molten calf and have worshipped it, and have sacrificed thereunto, and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. You know what stiff-necked is? Uh, My study Bible says stubborn. But when I read stiff-necked, I think it's... I think it's absolutely analogous to not being able to move your head. Mm -hmm. Right? You ever had a crick in your neck? Mm -hmm. When you have a crick in your neck, what happens? In order to turn and to see all the multitude of directions, what do you have to do? You have to turn your entire body with your feet. Right? Somebody says, hey! Right, You've got to move your entire body. Your feet have to move in the direction that you're looking. Yes. And that is the disadvantage of, of being stiff-necked. is because they, they have to go in the direction that they're faced, or they have to move in the direction that is drawing their attention. Right. Now, if somebody says, Hey, Thomas, even though I'm facing God, even if the devil says, hey, look back here, or come this direction. I can turn around and look, but where are my feet? What direction am I still moving? I'm still moving in the direction of God. Get there behind me, Satan. Man. I acknowledge that as being not a direction I want to go, and can still continue to move this direction. Okay. But when you're stiff-necked, and yeah. Satan says, hey, look, you got to move. And and your feet, your body, your attention is going in that direction. So, he says, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may wax hot against them, that I may consume them, and I will make of thee a great nation. It is amazing. Or maybe it's not that amazing. That, you know, when we are going through things, that our faith also does this. That's not the way God wants it. Even though it's absolutely natural, we are unnatural in the fact that we have the Holy Spirit of God existing in us. Amen. <clears throat> our faith should remain the same regardless of the gains and losses of this life. If you have a Bible, let's turn to our scripture reading this morning. <clears throat> you know, a great example of that is Paul. And while you turn over to the scripture reading, uh, I'm going to read to you the gains and losses of the man Paul. In 2 Corinthians and it, you don't have to turn over here, but if you're taking notes you can write it down. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. And this is 2 Corinthians 11, starting at verse 23, my apologies. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more, in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths off. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice I was beaten with rods, once was I stoned, thrice was I, I, I suffered shipwreck, at night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeyings often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea. I'm getting tired of talking about all these perils. Mm -hmm. Uh, In perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Beside those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Who is weak, and I am not weak? Who is offended, and I am not? If I must needs glory, I will glory of the things which concern mine infirmities. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is blessed forevermore, knoweth that I lie not. Talk about gains and losses. Except for fall, he was on an upward trajectory. Yes. You know, um, they, they call it in the stock world, they, they call it uh, um, the purge or a purge, right? He was on he was an upward trajectory. Until he got to the road in Damascus. Acts chapter nine. Acts chapter nine. And then what happened? He meets Jesus and his stock plummets precipitously, and it continued to plummet. How do I know that? Read what we just read in Second Corinthians chapter 11. He was on an upward trajectory because his faith was in the old law. He accepted the gospel of Jesus Christ, and then what happened? It was almost a life full of losses. But that was the same man who later on says in, what is it, 2 Timothy. Let's all read it. 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter. Verse 6. He says, For I am now ready to be offered. The time of my departure is hand. I have fought a good fight. I have kept my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous shall shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but to unto all them also that love is appearing. That's 2 Timothy chapter 4. Verses uh, six through eight. So, in a life after after accepting the gospel of Jesus Christ, where there were more losses than gains, certainly that was the same man who said this. How was he able to say that? Because his faith wasn't based on speculations of life's occurrences, of being having good times and having low times and having good times and having low times. For Paul, his faith was consistently invested in God. Yes. Why did he do that? It, it was Paul some sort of savant? Right? Was he up here and we're all down here? No, Paul is the same as us. But here's the one thing about Paul. And he made the statement, the same statement that Sister Bill mouthed uh, to me when I asked the question. If you had to invest your life in a sure winner, what would it be? And to Paul, his sure winner was God. Amen. That's how he was able to do that. That's how he was able to maintain his faith because he had placed his bet. He invested his money, he invested his life rather, in a sure thing. Now, some of you may say that's insider trading. It absolutely is insider trading. If you believe the Bible. The Bible tells us. The Bible tells us without even having any evidence to it. The Bible tells us God, the stock of God is a sure winner. You will not lose if you invest in God. Paul had some insider trading. How do we know this in Acts chapter 9? Who met him on the road to Damascus? Jesus Christ met him himself. Did Paul have that insider trading? He absolutely did. Do we have it as well? Yes, we do. God is a sure winner. You have to invest your life in him. You'll never lose. Now, you may have losses. You may have a bunch of these. God's value. It's a blue stock chip, as they say. Or a blue chip stock. It will always go up. It will always go up to eternal life. So Hebrews chapter 10, our scripture reading this morning. Starting at uh, verse 22. It says, Let us draw near. Now, don't come to God wishy-washy. Don't come to God thinking life is good today and the only reason I'm going to invest in God is because I hope or I speculate that God will continue to maintain my lifestyle until I die. Guess what? It's not going to happen. If that's the type of stock that you're looking for, don't invest in God. You're looking for a a short-term stock. God is not one of those investments. He is an eternal investment. (laughs) By definition, the longest-term stock you can ever invest in. But what... Paul is saying here, or excuse me, not what Paul, but what the Hebrew writer is saying here is, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. What is assurance? I don't know exactly what that definition is, but when I see the word assurance, it means that I am assured of, or I am guaranteed of, there is a 100% confidence of, that I will get this if I put my investment in it. And it says, Let us draw nigh to God with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Verse 23 Let us hold fast our, excuse me, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. Why? For he, is faith, for he is faithful that promised. We know that it is impossible for God to lie. That's one of the innate qualities of God, is that he cannot lie. So if God says, be thou faithful unto death, and I will give you a crown of life," what does that mean? That means that I will get a crown of life if I invest in remaining faithful until death. God cannot lie. So let us hold fast to that faith. Without wavering, without having this speculative faith that that wavers with the gains and losses of life. We have to keep it, hold fast to it. In verse 24 it says, Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. And that's the reason for this lesson. Is we need to be reminded of this. We need to remind each other. To show and prove our steadfastness to the faith of God. In love or by love and good works. Verse 25. How does this all pertaining pertain to... To being here. It says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as a matter of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaches. Okay. Why is it that we have an issue, or why did even Paul say, or excuse me, the Hebrew writer even put this in here? Back in the Old Testament, You had to, um, if things were good, you burnt an offering to God. It wasn't the old, wrangly, old, you know, goat in the back that you were going to put down anyway. No, it was the best goat. Because guess what? Things are good. Things are good, and I just want to give glory and honor to God because things are good. Same is true with worship services. When, you're, when things are good, you're feeling good. You know, man, God has blessed me today. I got a job. God has blessed me today. I've, I've been made whole in my health. God has blessed me today. It's easy to show up to worship and praise him. But when my wife just left me, I got fired from my job. I'm sick. I look bad. I'm poor. right? It's hard to come to worship and praise God because what? Things aren't going so well often you in your life. You're, you're not as motivated to get up, to put on clothes, to shower or brush your teeth, to come to some place to worship a God who has not shown His love for you and the fact that things are going so bad for you in your life. Now I say that as a fool, as Paul would say. Amen. But it says not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as a matter of some is, but exhorting one another. Hey, man, hey, woman, even though things aren't going so well for you, it's all good because you invest in the stock of God. When you die, even if you die in the poorest of states, you will get eternal life. It will all work out for you in the end. But what other place, Where? Where can you find that level of exhortation? But here in this building with this family. We gotta do it even more as we see the day approaching. If you're here this morning and you can't you don't have a full assurance. Right? You're only investing in God halfway, but when things turn back, you're going to pull your money out and invest it in other things. If you're that type of Christian, this lesson is for you. And I exhort you this day to have a change of mindset. Mm-hmm. We talked about being rich and being poor is all about how I perceive my condition to be. Mm-hmm. Sister Bill was right. I raised my hand by saying poor, she's like, no, you're not poor, you're rich. I said, well, relatively I'm poor, but guess what, relatively I'm also rich. Mm-hmm. Right. It's all about how you perceive your condition to be. Oh, man. How can you have a change of mindset? You can have the change of mindset of knowing that your condition is exactly what it is. It's just a condition. It's neither positive nor negative. It's neither good or bad. It's just how your life is today. If you look at it in those terms, you know, I used to have a thing, I, I, man, I, I can't think about how good things are because I know, because tomorrow may be really bad. You know, I, I can't, I should appreciate the good times because tomorrow there's going to be bad times. Well, regardless whether good or bad is just a state of being for that particular day what we should be invested in is God and that eternal life again we just read in Luke chapter what is it 1232 somewhere around about for where your heart for where your treasure is there is your heart also Mm -hmm. amen my treasure is up in God Up in heaven with God. So that's where my heart is. That's where my investment is. It lies with God. And you can make that change today by coming to Him with a repentant heart, asking Him for for forgiveness, but also for the strength to be able to invest your life in a sure winner. Mm -hmm. How do I know He's a winner? I really don't have any evidence of that. Because if I did, that would be opposite of faith but I don't have any evidence, but I believe it nonetheless because it's written here in this this manual. It's written here in this book. I believe it because other men and women in my life. Go back and read Hebrews chapter 11 about men and women of faith and how they invested in God and they came out on top. It wasn't hucky-dory all the way through, but at the end, they received their reward. And you can do the same. Tomorrow is going to be worse than today. I don't know, it could be. <laughs> I'm just making that statement. It, it could be a lot better than today. There was, I found $6 in a washer the other day. I was feeling bad. I was like, Man, I'm here in this laundromat. I'm not getting a penny out of it either. I'm, <laughs> I'm cleaning all this equipment. Man, God has cursed me with this laundromat. <laughs> I look in to the, one of the 40s. It was a 5 and a 1. I pulled it out. I was like, hot dog. Oh, glory be to God. Praise Him. That's a shame, isn't it? <laughs> it's laughable. That in one moment I can go to God and thank Him for a blessing, and in the next, based off the condition of my life, mm-hmm. <laughs> think that He has cursed me with that same blessing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's laughable, but we do it all the time. Yes. But if we maintain our faith, whether we're in good times or bad times, we'll mm-hmm. always be able to say, "All glory be to God. Mm-hmm. Praise God." for my life and the things and the way that my life is going. If we continue to focus on our investments into God, it will also prompt us to do other things. It will prompt us to be obedient to His commandments. It will prompt us to study, to show ourselves approved. It will prompt us to give as God has prospered. us. It will prompt us certainly to in reference to Hebrews 10, verse 25, it will prompt us to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Yes. Because this is where God is, where two or three are gathered Amen. in His name, He's in the midst. Right. So if I am invested into God, I want to be where the man is. Amen. Or rather, the men are. Yes. Jesus and the Holy Ghost included. Yes. So if you're here this morning, and you need prayers of strength, prayers of rededication, prayers to reinvest. Please take the opportunity this morning as we stand and sing the song of invitation. Are you-